Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the commentary series on the Confessions of St. Augustine. I'm Dr. Paul Thigpen, an author and retired professor of historical theology. This is the seventh episode of our series, and we're using the Tan edition of the book. Today we explore Book 5, Chapters 1-14, through St. Augustine's thoughts and recollections about his life in Rome and Milan, Italy, in his early adult years. Let's begin with words from his prayer. O Lord our God, under the shadow of your wings let us hope. Protect us and carry us onward. You shall carry us, you shall, from when we are little children till when we are old and gray. Amen. Book 5 opens with an extended confession of God's faithful love and providence for sinners who are denying him and running away from him. Yet that loving providence, Augustine realizes, must usually employ a chastising affliction. And as we shall see later in the book, our Lord's gracious plans, even for those who are faithful, such as St. Monica, may allow them to suffer adversity, may cause them to think that he has abandoned them and spurned their fervent prayers, when in truth he is using adversity to accomplish his greater good for them. In Psalm 139, King David cries to an inescapable God, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Here Augustine echoes David's declaration as he sums up his own life at that time. Let restless sinners go and flee from you. Still do you see them. Where did they fly to when they fled from your face? Where shall you not find them? No, they have fled so that they would not have to see you seeing them. And they plucked out their eyes that they might stumble against you for you do not abandon anything you have made, that they, the unjust, might stumble against you and be justly vexed by it, withdrawing from your gentleness, stumbling against your justice, and falling into your severity. See, they do not know that you are everywhere, whom no place can encompass, and that you alone are present even to those who have fled far from you. Then let them turn round and seek you, for you are not like them, they have forsaken their Creator, but you have not forsaken your creature. Let them turn round and behold you are there in their hearts. And I, where was I when I went seeking you? But you were right before me, and I had even departed from myself, and I could not find myself, much less could I find you. How many of us can identify with those sentiments, either in recalling our own spiritual journeys or in watching those we love try to run from the Lord like Jonah. Next, Augustine goes on to tell us more about his continued restless search for God. The saint is careful to identify those in his spiritual journey who influenced him on the way, whether for good or for ill, 
and sometimes for both. At this point, he encountered a Manichaean bishop named Faustus, who visited Carthage to teach. The saint had been reading certain classical philosophers who were also astronomers and mathematicians. He was deeply impressed by their scientific knowledge, and especially their ability to predict with great accuracy eclipses and other celestial phenomena. Looking back, Augustine admits that these pagan writers had the intellect to figure out aspects of this passing world, but they couldn't find the God who created it, in part because of their pride. They did not know the way, your word, that is Christ, by which you made the things they number, and those who do the numbering, and the sense whereby they see what they are numbering, and the mind they use for numbering. And of your wisdom, there is no number. All these things they owe to the Creator, yet they don't know or even recognize the Creator. And I'm sad to say that Augustine could just as well have been describing many secular scientists today. Even so, despite their lamentable ignorance of God, Augustine is grateful to them. For when he began to compare the verifiable science of these men with what he calls the Manichees' far-gone fables about the cosmos, his confidence in the Manichees' account of reality began to erode. In this way, God used them to move them along the path to truth. Augustine began meeting with Faustus, the Manichae bishop, and though he found the man amiable enough and even eloquent, his responses to Augustine's questions were unsatisfying. The young man didn't yet make a break with the religious sect, but he decided not to delve deeper into their teachings nor advance in their ranks. Thus did that Faustus, the saint recalls, a deadly snare for so many, begin to undo the bonds I have been caught in, neither willing it nor knowing it. For your hand, my God, in the recesses of your providence, did not abandon my soul, and a sacrifice for my sake was offered up to you day and night, a sacrifice of the blood of my mother's heart, sent up by her tears, and you wrought with me in mysterious ways. It was your working, my God. By God's design and honoring Monica's prayers, Faustus unintentionally initiated Augustine's release from the Manichaean errors. In such surprising ways does the Lord work to accomplish his holy will. Soon afterward, the saint decided to make a job change that required him to move from North Africa to Rome, Italy. This major life decision was to have important consequences for his spiritual journey. He had quite practical reasons for making that decision, but as it turns out, God had his own long-term reasons for setting up Augustine this way. No doubt many of us as well can remember important life decisions that we ourselves have made with a similar outcome. Looking back, we can see God's hand in it all, even though at the time we may have been clueless about his will. Augustine recalls, You were working then within me, so that I was persuaded to go to Rome and teach there rather than at Carthage. How I was persuaded, I will not pass by in my confession to you, since in these matters too we find the deepest recesses of your work and your mercy most near at hand to meditate upon and to proclaim. I did not want to go to Rome for the better pay and the more prestigious position that my friends held out for me when they urged me to do so, though these things did then draw my mind on. Know the prime reason, almost the only reason, was that I heard that the young men there, that is the students, 
were quieter in their study and were kept under the reign of a more orderly discipline. How many teachers today can understand the attraction of that job offer? We're not talking here just about whispering and passing notes in the back of the classroom. Augustine tells us, at Carthage, the students are not ashamed to break into a class and looking like madmen to disrupt the order that a teacher has established for the good of his students. They do all kinds of harmful things, remarkable for their stupidity and warranting punishment by law. And worst of all, they always got away with it. Even so, confesses the saint to God, you, my hope, and my portion in the land of the living, spurred me on for the health of my soul, to change the land where I lived, to get myself out of Carthage, and you set the snare to allure me to Rome. And the Lord did it through people who didn't even know him to direct the steps of a man still running from him. God's providential plan is apparent only now, in hindsight. It was hidden to Augustine at the time and hidden to his poor mother as well. Imagine the compounded grief of the widowed Monica. Her spiritually wandering son would now leave her behind in Africa to live in a great city with a sordid reputation for vice. It seemed as if her prayers for her son were being thrown back into her face by heaven. Augustine recalls the heart-wrenching scene as he prepared to board the ship to Italy. She cruelly wailed over my leaving and followed me to the seaside, but I deceived her, even as she hung on to me by main force, begging me to go back with her or to let her come along with me. I pretended that I had a friend I did not want to leave before the wind rose for him to set sail. So did I lie to my mother, to such a mother as mine, and I got away. And still she refused to leave without me, and I hardly managed to persuade her to stay the night in a place near to our ship. But that very night, I sneaked off and got aboard, leaving her behind to weep and to pray. Monica was, of course, devastated. She had begged God to keep Augustine from leaving, but her prayer went unanswered. Or actually, as her son later realized, her greater prayer for her son's salvation was in the long process of being answered. Augustine now confesses to God, Deep was your counsel, and you heeded the turning point of her desire, caring not for what she sought at that time, so that you might do for me what she had sought at all times. The wind blew and filled our sails, and the shore faded from our sight, where she on that morning raved in her sorrow and filled your ears with sighing and complaining, and you disregarded them as you swept me up in my desires to put an end to those desires, and in justice you plied the rod of sorrow to her desire that was merely of the flesh. For she loved to have me with her as mothers do, but far more than most and she did not know what joy you were going to make for her out of my absence. She did not know it, and so she wept and she wailed. But after she had accused me of falsehood and cruelty, she turned against praying to you for my sake. She left and went home, and I went to Rome. Not long after Augustine arrived in his new residence, where he would be living with a Manichaean acquaintance, he was struck down with a serious illness burning up with fever. He thought he would die. As my fever grew worse, he recalls, I was on my way, I was perishing. And where would I have gone if I had gone then and there, but into fire 
and the fit torments for my deeds. Augustine is convinced that he was rescued from death by his mother's relentless prayer. My mother knew nothing of this, but still she prayed for me in her absence. But you, who are present everywhere, hearken to her where she was, and you had mercy on me where I was, that I might recover the health of the body while I was still raving in the sickness of my ungodly heart. And such a wound, that is my death, had struck my mother's heart it would never have been healed. For I cannot say enough of how much she kept me in her mind and how much more labor she suffered in giving birth to me in the spirit than she had when she bore me in the flesh. Yet another testimony to the power of a faithful parent's persevering prayer for a child. When Augustine recovered, he gave himself to teaching his new students. But he soon discovered that in Rome, the students may not be undisciplined in class, they had the habit of defrauding their teachers by not paying their tuition. Disillusioned again, he applied for a job as a teacher of rhetoric in Milan, Italy, a city that had come by that time to replace Rome as the real seat of political power in the West. After an eloquent speech to prove his rhetorical skills, and with the help of more Manichae friends, Augustine landed the job. I went there to Milan to get free of them, the Manichees, though neither I nor they knew it. But God knew it, and God arranged it. In Milan, he met the man who did perhaps more than any other to help him toward conversion, the Bishop St. Ambrose. Augustine confessed to God, To him did you lead me, unknowing that by him I might be led knowingly to you. Ambrose was one of the great doctors of the church. He was widely celebrated for his firm orthodoxy in the face of heretical opposition and a compelling eloquence in preaching that displayed great learning and clarity of thought. That man of God welcomed me like a father, Augustine recalls gratefully. And I began to love him, not first as a teacher of truth, but as a man kindly disposed toward me. What a wise reminder that our love for others can prepare the way for their conversion even before they are able to accept the truth of the gospel. Augustine was at first primarily interested in learning to hone his rhetorical skills from the exemplary preaching of Ambrose. Even so, he admits, the bishop's style could not be separated from his message. While I opened my heart to how finely he spoke, there came to me how truly he spoke. Slowly, Augustine's questions about the Catholic faith were being resolved though he wasn't yet fully convinced of its truth. Anyone who has ever been involved in an RCIA program will testify that many of the catechumens are in a similar situation. Often the personal relationships they build there with Catholics of integrity and kindness who know their faith well will provide what the catechumens need to resolve their doubts. In our next episode, we'll learn more about the tremendous influence on Augustine's spiritual journey that was exerted by key figures around him, placed there, of course, by God in his kindness and wisdom. To close, let's pray with the saint. My God, I beseech you, let me go round about in my memory to recall the past circuits of my wandering ways so that I may offer to you a sacrifice of jubilation. Amen and God bless.
This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit TANCommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the confessions and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.